everyone's trying to compete with TikTok. So YouTube shorts and Instagram reels have a lot of organic reach just because they're trying to take market share away from TikTok. Learn modern marketing that you can use to grow your business in today's competitive landscape. This is Digital Marketing Masters with Matt and Carrie Rouse. Hello and welcome to Digital Marketing Masters. I'm your host, Matt Rouse. And today, my guest is Chris Dreyer. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Matt. Thanks for having me. Hey, no problem. Let me read your bio so people know who you are first, and then we'll get into it. Sounds good. Chris is the founder of Rankings.io. They're an SEO-first agency that help elite personal injury law firms land serious injury and auto accident cases through Google's organic search results. And his company has distinction of making the Inc. 5000 list four years in a row. And you also have a book coming out, which is why we're having a conversation today, since we're doing authors all this season. Uh, niching up, the narrower the market, the bigger the prize. And that is slated for release in October. Uh, but first, I wanted to ask you, what gave you the idea to write the book? It's a great question. I think that the way that we've niched is is very uncommon. Most people, when they think of niching, they don't think of going as narrow as we have. And I looked at, you know, there's pros and cons of niching. So I looked at the available books out there and there's a lot of these common phrases, right? Riches are in the niches and all these types of things that these statements these individuals make. But I couldn't find a book that really talked about the pros and the cons. And that's why I created the book. Right. And I think that's pretty valuable to know both sides of the story. A lot of people just keep hearing those, you know, the riches are in the niches and people are like, okay, what does that mean? Right. And when you say like you guys at your company, you kind of very seriously niche down. Mm-hmm. I mean, basically you're the opposite of my agency where we're just like <laughs> all over the map. You know, I got people who, you know, deliver flowers to people on Maui and a bioceutical company in New Zealand and, you know, like uh, just a you know, bail bond company and, you know, just random stuff all over the world. Right. For you guys, very, very, very specific in just a tiny fraction of the attorney industry. Just in the United States. I don't know if you guys are international or not, but we worked with a few clients in, in Canada, but over the last 10 years, but currently we're just U.S. Right. So why the super niching, you know, when you did the pros and cons, why were you in favor of going that tight? It's a really good question out of the gate. So for us, it kind of naturally occurred. We first did SE, we did everything. We did full service digital marketing and we found a propensity. We found a love for SEO and we really got the best results out of that service for our clients. So not only did we narrow our market from an industry perspective, but also the service that we provided. So the first thing that we did was we eliminated pay-per-click, then we eliminated design and some of these other services. And then we went straight in. And then from there in legal, we evaluated our clientele base. And we, we identified through data over a seven year period is about when we made this, this change that 70% of our revenue came from less than 40% of our clientele and it was personal injury law firms. So since we are so heavily weighted on the, the revenue side and profitability side and 
we just naturally gravitated towards these types of firms, it was an easier transition. It wasn't like we had 5% revenue here, 15% revenue here. I mean, we had a heavy, heavy amount of revenue, very centralized in this PI space. Right. The, um, you know, the old Pietro principle, the 80-20 rule seems to be very, very uh, prevalent in the marketing industries. I don't know if it's because we kind of have it in the back of our mind already, if it's just the way that things are. But, you know, I think uh, the interesting part that I realized for our company is that the things that we're good at are the things that other companies are not good at, which is working with industries that have something kind of some difficulty uh, that makes it difficult to market. You know, like a perfect example is bail bond companies. We have a couple of bail bond companies that we do work with for decades now. And Google one day just decided you couldn't advertise anymore. And that's like almost a hundred percent of the marketing for bail companies at the time, because you don't want to ask somebody, hey, do you guys know who could get my kid out of jail? You know, you don't put that on Facebook, right? So people immediately go, and it was kind of just an ad, you know, arms race, and then it disappeared one day. But yeah, I get what you're saying. So you guys, you decide you're going to niche down. You've got this revenue, you know, base in that industry. Uh, did you go back to adding more services again, just industry specific, or did you still say, we're just going to do SEO just for these people. Great question. Google's kind of shifted over the last 10 years to putting more emphasis on the rank brain side of their algorithm, the user experience and signals like speed and bounce rate. So we did reintroduce design, but we call our design services SEO driven design, meaning it's designed from an SEO perspective and not just an aesthetic copywriting perspective, which are what most design agencies are pushing. Right. <laughs> I don't want to say it's a plague because that has a pretty negative connotation, but there is a plague of, well, let's call it a rash. There is a rash <laughs> of design agencies making pretty websites that in every other aspect are worthless. I couldn't agree more. Where they look really nice, but the copy is terrible. There's no calls to action. It's full of like dead ends. And, you know, it, it, it's not organized in a way that's or a structure that's going to help them with search. And all right, if you guys are listening and you had somebody who did build your website, who was a graphic designer and not a copywriter, you might need to go read it. Yeah, the other... The other thing is like these sites, a lot of the, you know, if you have Elementor and Divi and all these WordPress themes and they create all of these coded in things to make it easier, you know, a no code perspective to where you can add testimonial blocks and things like that. But if you don't use them, you have all this unnecessary code on your website and it just bogs it down and slows it down. And there's only so much that you can do to these theme themes and these page builders to eliminate that and really speed up a site. So we like the custom approach. We keep it lean and mean. And that's why we do design is because it supplements our SEO business. Honestly, I was working on a website that was just straight PHP code the other day, PHP and HTML for the first time. It's got to be five years, you know? And I was like, man, I got to like kind of relearn this. It's been so long. Like, the last PHP version I used was five and now it's eight. And I'm like, oh my God, it's all this new stuff I got to know. But 
Yeah, it was kind of fun to get back to the roots, you know, kind of writing code and just putting in what you need and not trying to minimize what you don't need. It's a totally different skill set. hundred percent. I had a Philadelphia client yesterday send me this site and he's like, why is this site ranking? And I look at it and it's like an old Dreamweaver type site. It basically wow. doesn't have anything, but it when you click it, it loads because there's nothing unnecessary. It's just like these single page builds. And I was really intrigued. I'm like, oh, well, that's different because most sites are a lot heavier now. Yeah, speed's a real factor. We do a lot of uh, auditing of websites and stuff. And you get into like some waterfall testing and stuff. And you see like, especially when somebody's got like cheap hosting, you know, they're on GoDaddy or something. And you're like, oh, my God, it takes a second and a half just for the server to respond and then the website all is all bloated and crap. And you're like, how does anybody wait? Like, who's waiting seven seconds for a website to load these days? I know that sounds like a small number when you think about it. But when you're staring at your phone for seven seconds before something comes on the screen, you start to think it might be broken. Or you're like, is the Internet off? <laughs> you're flipping the Wi-Fi off, turning on the Bluetooth. And you're like, I don't know what's happening. It's kind of like if you imagine if you're watching television and like your show stopped for seven seconds straight, you'd be like, what? Did it break? What happened? Is Netflix offline? You're like searching for outages by the time it comes on again. Yeah, we know what's happened to commercials, right? They have been eliminated. People don't like them. That's why. That's right. Unless you watch YouTube. True. Man, I know I don't want to like rabbit hole too much in the wrong direction here. Sure. But YouTube's definitely turned up the the commercial dial recently. It's gotten really heavy, especially if you watch short videos. You know, do I really need to see two or three ads every minute and a half? It's probably not reasonable. Same with Facebook's out of control on ads right now. And it's funny because I run Facebook ads for companies. And you know what? For the right stuff, I love Facebook ads. But these kind of generalized generic ads that used to get on television that now you're getting on social media, they're just terrible. Nobody wants to see them. Nobody cares. But anyways, advertising aside, if somebody's trying to make a decision for their business, they're trying to go, should I kind of go broad or should I go specific or should I go, you know, very specific? What do you think is a good way for them to kind of start that process, that analysis I'm on the David Epstein side of the fence in terms of his book, Range. He wrote this book, Range, and he talks, it's mainly focused on athletes. And he has this part in there where he talks about Nadal, how his parents put him in all these different sports. And he found a natural propensity to tennis. And he went all in and we've seen how successful he's been. But imagine that out of the gate, he just started with, say, basketball. Would he have been? The player that he is, who knows? Probably not. Probably not. But he, because he had all these experiences, he found that he really excelled in tennis and he went all in and, and created this focus. So when I talk to individuals that talk about niching, should I go narrow? Should I go wide? And they have all these questions. The first thing I tell them is to, is to go broader and to have as many experiences as you can to where you find a passion, you find a real interest I think there's a lot to be said about passion because then it's not work and you don't look at the hours that you're spending. And the quote that comes to mind is if you love what you do, you never work a day in your life. I, I think that's true. And I love what I do. And 
I can't imagine just picking in a niche and not enjoying it. So I, I tell individuals to have all these experiences and go broad before they, before they narrow in. Yeah. I think if you're just starting out, especially in the agency world, you know, or some other kind of related fields, you kind of take what you can get when you're first starting. Cause you gotta, you know, keep the lights on and pay the bills. But you know, once you start to get to the point where you're, You've got reasonable recurring revenue, you know, you've got a good income stream coming in. Then you can kind of start to look around and say, what are the things I don't enjoy? And what are the things I do enjoy? And, you know, I don't know if the, you know, if you're passionate about what you do, you know, you'll never work a day in your life. I still think a lot of stuff is hard work. Sometimes there's some grinding involved, right? You know, I know I do it for our agency all the time, but man, if I didn't love, you know, helping businesses and stuff, there's no way I could force myself to work till 10 o'clock at night every day. Right. Because I mean, sometimes when, you know, things happen, you lose some staff, you know, whatever the thing is that happens, there's some kind of emergency, you know, you're going to have to put in those hours. Right. And you're not going to want to do that if you just don't care about it, you know? Couldn't agree more. I see this a lot with people in that kind of web design space. Not that we're here to bash web designers, you know? I mean, I know lots of great web development companies and web designers, but I also run into lots. I mean, I literally an hour ago, I was having coffee with a guy whose business is local. And he says, you know, when I... I send questions to my web guy because I want to, you know, I'm saying, hey, you made these changes to this copywriting, you know, to make it better for SEO. I'm going to put that in quotes. And it doesn't really read very well. Like it doesn't really say what we do. So I think we need to like, you know, change a little bit. And he's like, and the guy just like doesn't respond to me. And I'm like, well, that guy's fired. Yeah, I mean, not only is he fired, but that's somebody who's not passionate about what they're doing, right? They're not really there to help people. They're like, I need to stamp out websites to get a paycheck. And I mean, that could be any industry. It doesn't have to be web design. Right. But And also, you know what? This is interesting. For somebody who's not in the web design or in, uh, you know, marketing agency space, there's a very big difference between a web designer and a web developer, and these are terms that people use indiscriminately for both things. But a web designer designs a website, but a developer does development, i.e. programming. And a designer does not. Yeah, and typically you're looking for a unicorn if, if, if there's someone that does both. Either they're maybe not proficient and as proficient in one area as the other, it, which, which comes back to focus and expertise and things like that, which we're going to talk about. But the other thing is, is, is typically they just, they don't have the, the, it's kind of that jack of all trades, master of none. Let's get back a little bit to, you know, your niche with personal injury attorneys. And I know from experience, you know, working with our attorneys, that that can be a bit of a difficult space to be in when it comes to, like a lot of people don't think that, you know, they call the people ambulance chasers and, and this kind of terminology, right? A lot of times they get bashed and attorney jokes and things like that. Do you guys find that it's difficult to deal with that kind of stuff? Or are you kind of outside of that 
you know, feedback loop. Oh, we definitely see it and hear about it. In fact, our agency, when we do Facebook ads, occasionally I'll get the the, the comment that's very creative that's, that calls me an ambulance chaser chaser, <laughs> which I kind of <laughs> smile is at. Clever. It is very clever. I think it's funny. The biggest problem with the attorney stuff, it's some individuals have made it bad for the group as a whole. And what I mean by that some of the copywriting on the billboards just lack EQ. It's like, congratulations, you're hurt. Want some money? <laughs> like, like, that's the wrong approach. And I just cringe when I read some of these billboards. And, or the people screaming on television or the, the epitome of, of the ambulance chasers, which, you know, there's a lot of bar issues with this, but it happens every day. You get in an accident, and next thing you know, you got a guy handing you his, his card next to your bed, you know, bed at the hospital, and you're just getting hammered with solicitations. So those individuals really give the industry as a whole a bad rap. But I think most of the clients we work with genuinely like helping people. In fact, many of them started off on the defense side, the criminal defense side, and many of them have moved over to the plaintiff side. It's just something to be aware of. I saw a study where they associated personal injury attorneys at the same level as prostitutes <laughs> in terms yeah, of perception. perception. And I was just like, oh my God. I was like, how, yeah. how can this be? But I think that's why. Right in think, there with SEO companies. Right. Oh, SEO is right in the middle between those two. And I think it's just... Yeah, it's unfortunate because most personal injury attorneys are, are on your side. They're they're against big insurance, but it's just the way it is. You know, some people have made it a bad place for, for the majority. Yeah, and I mean, you see that in a lot of industries, too, but especially with the kind of accident injury attorney thing is that there's kind of such a large payday on the attorney side if a settlement like a large settlement is reached especially in the United States. I mean, not so much in Canada, but is, I mean, there's just, there's motivation for creepy people to get into that industry, to try to do the least amount of work possible to, you know, get that settlement and just not have to do any work after that point, basically. And then you get defense attorneys who, you know, they, they honestly care about the client's well-being and they're trying to make sure that they get taken care of and that their medical bills and their you know medical stuff is being taken care of but also that they are being taken care of the way they should be and you know getting people the help they need and and insurance companies you know nothing against insurance i mean it's all something that we need to have right to be prepared for things but once you're on the accident side of it that side of working with insurance companies is a hundred percent different experience than you're going to have buying insurance, right? Their job is to find any reason to say no and not give you the money that you're supposed to get. Yeah. To give you $300 when it could be a six figure payout. <laughs> yeah. And you know, the first number that they give you and the second number that they give you are both going to be a joke, you know, cause they're going to be trying to save as much money as possible. And mm-hmm. This is why we have insurance. Right. And actually, I know um, one of our d- defense attorney clients was working with someone who they were just stopped at a red light 
and they got plowed by a giant, like several ton delivery truck from a company where the person was looking at their phone to see where the next delivery was and didn't see the stop sign. It just plowed right through their car. And the, you know, the insurance company for that company tried to give them $3,000 and their back was like literally broken. Like it's just insane. So yeah, I, I think there's a need, you know, there and, and it's too bad that a lot of people go out and just bash people on the internet. You know, it's, it's a problem that's never going to go away. Unfortunately, I don't know. Do you guys do any work on Twitter or do you kind of avoid the Twitter? Very little, very little. We, we, we stay away from the social side, even from our distribution owned asset side, when we're trying to market ourselves, it's not a huge focus. Now I know they do index posts, there was this little glitch error where a lot of the links turned into do follow links and all the SEO guys' ears perked up for a moment in time. In general, I like it from an owned asset perspective, but we're, we're focusing more on Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, stuff like that. How is the TikTok going for you guys so far? You know, I, uh, I will say that this is the first person I've run into, and it was Yesterday, I was talking to them at one of our business networking groups, and he said he gets the majority of his clients from TikTok. And I had never heard somebody say that before who's in business. For us, we're just, we're really new to the game. We have hardly any of a following base. We were trying to create an inventory of content before you start jamming ads. And I think you really do. Right now, the organic reach when you post a TikTok is like Facebook in the old days or LinkedIn in the old days where you can make a post and it can get thousands of impressions. It, every social media network, it goes through this phase where first you get a lot of organic reach, they get a big user base, and then they start to dial down organic reach and make it pay to play. It's happened in all of them. Well, and the other thing is that there has to be TikTok had the problem where there was more people watching than there was people creating content. So there wasn't enough content to go around. Right. That problem is sort of remedied itself now. I think we're still in the heydays, maybe for another six months to a year for TikTok for the organic reach. And then it's going to it's going to be really dialed down. I think their algorithm is a lot better than the others just because of the interest and your activity can choose what content that you see, which is kind of unique. Versus you have a follower base and, you know, like on Instagram or Facebook and you just see the random posts that you don't really care about. Yeah, Meta was just talking about how they're going to start using the recommendation algorithm, which is essentially their ripoff of TikTok on Facebook as well as Instagram and not just for reels, but for everything. So good luck seeing those posts from your your cousin anymore or those bands that you actually tried to follow back in the day that's funny it's um if you're in a good niche right and this kind of speaks to what you're talking about with being specific and niching down just like on a platform like youtube if you could rabbit hole on the one thing that you're trying to talk about as soon as someone hits that and they show some kind of engagement or interest in that topic those recommendation algorithms will just dial it up to 10 for that thing and show all of your content to those people. But if you're, you know, they say, uh, I think it was Ryan Hanley's book, Content Warfare, where he said that Google hates the generalist. And it's true. They want specifics. And if somebody is interested in 
whatever that thing is, you know, it's not really anymore like I'm the guy who talks about, I don't know, like a hobby thing, like role playing games. It has to be like, I'm the Dungeons and Dragons DM guy or I'm the Warhammer miniature person. And I mean, some of you may not know what those things are, but you know, just Google it in your game world. But Matt, you're you're speaking my uh, you're speaking my nerd language. That's so right. Very familiar. Well, I'm a <laughs> massive Dungeons and Dragons, old school Dungeons and Dragons collector. Oh, nice, nice. I'm a huge. So fan. I collect all the modules and books from back in the 70s and 80s. Very cool. Yeah, I have I have an immense collection. Everybody's like, "Do you know how much that's worth?" And I'm like, "I don't care. I'm never selling it." <laughs> they're gonna have to like they're gonna have to auction it after i die because i will never get rid of my dungeons and dragons things that's amazing you know what else i started collecting which is kind of interesting and super off topic is the original choose your own adventure books the old paperbacks yeah there's been a lost art of those because those are very enjoyable there has you know there's there's a couple kind of recent knockoffs of them that are pretty good, like some young adult ones that I saw that were pretty good. Because so my daughter's six now, and so we got to go to the bookstore a lot of times. I'm just looking through kind of the choose-your-own-adventure stuff. I did see some people make some TikTok and YouTube content around choose-your-own-adventure stuff that was kind of interesting, like they were doing it for their business or their industry. You know, go to the comments and... Click on video one if you choose this and click on video two if you choose this, you know, that kind of stuff. It's fun. But I don't know how much action it got. You guys uh, into like YouTube shorts as well as TikTok? Yeah, right now everyone's trying to compete with TikTok. So YouTube shorts and Instagram reels have a lot of organic reach just because they're trying to take market share away from TikTok. And those are tremendous opportunities on those platforms i really like youtube shorts because it seems to have a lot of creators putting stuff on there instead of instagram and facebook reels seems to be overwhelmingly people taking their tiktok video and just uploading it to you know instagram or facebook but youtube seems to have people who are just making stuff for that platform yeah that makes sense yeah and it does seem to have because they have some people with some really big followings on YouTube. I heard Mr. Beast's, I don't know if it was his director of marketing or something, someone that's really engaged with Mr. Beast. And he was asked, you know, how would you build a YouTube following today? And he said that he would do YouTube shorts and focus heavily on that until he got a big follower base. And then he would start to do long form content later. Yeah. I mean, well, you know, it was funny. It was interesting is. Mr. Beast and Daryl Ives did a video. Daryl Ives wrote the book, The YouTube Formula. The two of them were doing an interview. And basically what Mr. Mr. Beast said, and for those of you who don't know, Mr. Beast is the most followed person on YouTube, at least as far as I know. When shorts first came out, he was like, I'm going to wait and see you know, what happens with that part of the platform first before we start putting resources into it. He's like, we might dabble in it a little bit, do some testing. And then later, Daryl Ives made a video and he said, all you got to do is watch Mr. Beast. As soon as he starts doing YouTube shorts, you know, you need to do it because they've done the research and they've said, okay, this is worthwhile. And then like a week later, Mr. Beast started posting shorts. 
And so then everybody was like, get in the pool, you know? Right. Makes sense. I think we might be getting a little sidetracked, but that's okay. That's always happens on my show. So your book comes out, uh, what date you say? October, October 18th, October 18th. And where is it going to be available? Everywhere. Everywhere. Amazon. Yeah. Everywhere. It's, it's going through the publishing company is going to be scribe. So it's going to have a lot of distribution. Nice. I did. Um, I distributed my last book, uh, How We've Always Done It. I did Amazon, but this time I actually did Google Playbooks and Apple Books and Indigo and some of the Canadian ones and Barnes and Noble and kind of put it on every platform instead of just strictly Amazon. And I would say it increased our sales about 2%, which seems like a lot of effort for that 2%. But yeah, you know, it's 2% of people who never heard of me before. So, or maybe somebody who has and just likes to use Apple Books. I don't know. Also, um, I uh, I was talking with D. Scott Smith, who also is a co-host of my YouTube show, Business Builders Throwdown. And he's running a thing right now where I think it's 12 weeks and they can take you from the idea for your book to self-publish in 12 weeks. And that's a pretty quick turnaround. And that's kind of for executive summary type books, but that's pretty amazing. So you're going to have to give me that link or that reference at this follow. I should. Well, I said it to you. Yeah. I mean, my, my last book, I wrote the whole thing in, in 60 days. Wow. One hour a day at the coffee shop, five days a week. I just went in, set up my stuff, sat in the same spot, got the same coffee, sat down, just type, get it done. But it took, another two months to do editing and stuff. So I wish I could say the same. I've definitely put the effort in, but I keep making changes. It's like that, that book is a never ending project. There's oh, make a little tweak here, make a little tweak here, make an addition here. You got to set like a, when am I up against the deadline that I'm not going to make any more changes after? Yeah, I, I got pretty good with that. This was book five. So, I mean, I've done several books already, but one thing also that I did this time that I thought, I I like this process for my next book. I'll probably do the same thing is that I got it to the point where it was good enough in my opinion to release to the public. So I released it on Kindle and then I went back and did another full kind of read through and I expanded a little bit on some of the concepts to make them just a little bit more clear and stuff. And then another full edit before it went to print because the Kindle version you can go back and edit the kindle version and anybody from the point you upload the next kindle edition will get that version so you know if there's some errors for the people who are getting it immediately i don't feel you know as bad because you're kind of getting the first edition of the book you know we of course try not to have any errors in it but but yeah the print version i mean once you have a print book you can't change it Right. I mean, you can upload a new version of the print book, but once somebody has purchased the print book, you can't edit it anymore. But on Kindle, they can always get an update. Right. Good advice. So uh, this is how you guys publish a book. (laughs) Our topic today. (laughs) Chris, if somebody wants to get some more information about your book or about niching down or they may be a personal injury attorney and they want to talk to you guys about marketing, what's the best way for them to reach out to you? Best way to reach out to me personally is on LinkedIn. I'm most active on LinkedIn. You can find me on there. 
And if you're interested in my our agency, if your personal injury attorney needs help with, with search engine optimization, that's all we do, then you can go to rankings.io. Perfect. And the book is Niching Up, The Narrower the Market, The Bigger the Prize by Chris Dreyer. Chris, thanks so much for being on the show today. I know we got a little sidetracked, but I think it was a good conversation. Yeah, Matt. Thanks for having me. This has been Digital Marketing Masters with Matt and Carrie Rouse. For notes and a transcript of this episode, go to hookseo.com forward slash podcast. Join us next week as we dive into more tips and ideas to grow your business. Digital Marketing Masters is brought to you by Hook SEO Digital Marketing. Our show is produced by Matthew Rouse and Scott Burson. Mixed and edited by Silent Outburst Productions. I'm your announcer, Daniel D. Craig. We would love to hear your thoughts. Please leave us an honest review with your podcast provider. Your reviews help us help more business leaders just like you.